I've said it before, on the podcast and elsewhere, and I'll say it again. I don't love scary things. Spookiness is just not for me. Like pretty much every other teenage girl in the mid-aughts, I rode the Twilight train for a minute, but that's kind of where it ended for me with vampires. When The Vampire Diaries premiered on The CW in 2009, I never tuned in. I also never got into the book series that inspired said CW series, the first installment of which was published all the way back in 1991. Who knew? The first book is called The Awakening and was written by L.J. Smith, and I have some pretty fabulous guests to dive into it with on today's episode. The Awakening introduces us to the key players in the Vampire Diaries universe, in which popular girl Elena ditches nice guy Matt in favor of Stefan, a mysterious boy who is new to town. As readers, we know that Stefan has a complicated history, but it does take some time to learn how complicated it really is. Spoiler alert, he's a vampire, and he's still pining over Catherine, a girl from several hundred years ago who looked very much like Elena and was the one responsible for turning him into a vampire in the first place. Oh, and he has a brother named Damon who is also a vampire, who he's been avoiding for a few centuries. But he's back now, and things are about to get pretty chaotic. My guests and I have so many thoughts about this book, and we had the best time comparing notes. We talk about the echoes of Twilight we found in The Awakening, and about my guests' experiences watching The Vampire Diaries on TV. We talk about Elena as the kind of mean girl who would have Regina George quaking. We talk about the red flags we see in Stefan's behavior and the way Elena is so quick to excuse all of his bad behavior, vampire or not. My guests who have written YA themselves share their observations about how writing for teens has changed relative to The Vampire Diaries. We also discuss the general feeling of chaos we had when reading this book, especially at the end. I can't wait for you to listen, and I can't wait for you to hear from my incredible guests who I feel very lucky to have on the show today, Christina Lauren. Christina Lauren is the combined pen name of longtime writing partners and best friends Christina Hobbs and Lauren Billings, the New York Times, USA Today, and number one internationally best-selling authors of the Beautiful and Wild Season series, The Unhoneymooners, Twice in a Blue Moon, The Honey Don't List, In a Holidays, and The Soulmate Equation. It is super exciting to have them on the show. Find them online at ChristinaLaurenBooks.com, at ChristinaLauren on Instagram, or at ChristinaLauren on Twitter. If you are new to the show or haven't joined the party online yet, I would invite you to learn more about SSR at SSRPodcast.com, at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, or by searching for the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast community on Facebook. There is so much good stuff to explore on the SSR website, including show notes chock full of book recommendations and extra resources, a shop where you can buy SSR tote bags, bookmarks, t-shirts, and stickers, and a link that will take you right to SSR's Patreon page, where you can support the podcast and this community for just a few dollars every month. As a patron, you can enjoy rewards like newsletters, reading recap videos, bonus episodes, SSR merch, invites to Patreon parties, input on book selection, and so much more. You can also get access to SWR, or Shit We Read, a patron-exclusive book club that meets every other month to discuss a book that's, get this, actually written for adults. In September, we'll be discussing The Plot by Jean Hanf Corlitz, and I would absolutely love to have you join us. For the month of August only, even $1 patrons have access to our Patreon party. 
There's a lot of good stuff going on on Patreon these days, and you can learn all about it and join the fun at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and tapping support at the top of the page. If you're already supporting SSR on Patreon, I hope you know how much I appreciate you. Don't forget that you can also support SSR by leaving a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or by sharing the episodes you're loving on social media. Take a screenshot of this episode wherever you're listening to it, there's no time like the present, and post it to your Instagram story. Tag me at SSRpod so I can see. You can also add a note about what you're doing while you listen. I would love to know. We all love the feeling of directing our dollars towards small businesses instead of giant corporations, and Libro.fm makes that possible for audiobook lovers. With Libro.fm, you can love on independent bookstores, even if you don't happen to live near brick-and-mortar indie. The audiobooks you get from Libro.fm are exactly the same as the ones you would buy from the big guys, and they're the same price too. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, then use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Why not treat yourself to some great new audiobooks to help you kick off a great new season of reading? You deserve it. Okay, friends, let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hafkasik freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Christina. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to SSR. Hello. Yay. Hello. Does anybody ever greet you in the opposite order? Does anybody ever say, hi, Lauren, hi, Christina? Because I feel like I have to say, hi, Christina, hi, Lauren, because of your pen name. I think if they do, this is Lauren. I think if they do, it's very rare. Like the Christina Lauren just sort of rolls off the tongue now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Does it confuse you when people go out of order? I think I would have to do like a double take. Okay, I think I would get confused. I'd be like, I'm sorry, too. I think more than that, sometimes people are surprised that there are two of us. Yeah. Or a more recent one is that they think that we are are one person, but a they, because Mm -hmm. people always go, I love their books or. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It never occurred to me that could be confusing. Well, it's so funny because when I was in touch with your PR team to set up this interview, like I know that you're two people, but every time I was, every time I reached out to them, I was like, I just want to double check to make sure that there's actually two people. It was like a weird impulse. I was like, I have to make sure that I know exactly who I'm talking to. So yeah, I understand the confusion, but I love it. I'm so happy you're both here. And I know that our SSR family is going to be excited as well. And today we are talking about the first book in the Vampire Diaries series, which is called The Awakening. And I have a confession to make. I mentioned this to Lauren before you jumped on, Christina, but I am a total Vampire Diaries virgin. I had never read the books. I have never seen the show. So I need to hear everything about why this was your pick for today's podcast episode. Well, I, (laughs) Christina, am, I never read the books and I have only seen a handful of the episodes. And that is because Lo's daughter, who is like my little bestie, she is, she is 11, was like, watching all of them. So we were together for a week 
and she was watching them and I got sucked in. But somewhere down the road, I don't even know at what point, like what season we were watching. Yeah. And I've watched the whole thing with her. So I know when to tell her she can't watch the screen. <laughs> but so I, yeah, I have, I've seen the whole show and I've seen the originals, the spinoff, and I've never read the book. So I think, you know, we wanted to do this with you for that reason, but also because Christina and I met in the Twilight fandom and mm-hmm. so vampires are in our blood. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's been really fun to read this. It was very interesting because I didn't realize these books were from like 1991. So it was really interesting. I had no idea. When I was looking up the pub date before we jumped on today, I was like, I'm sorry, 1991, these books are almost as old as I am. I had no idea. It feels like they were sort of ahead of their time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, And you know, it is interesting just having watched the show and now read the book to see what has been changed. I mean, we can talk about that as we go through the story, but it it is really, it's sort of hard for me to parse out in my head, which is which now. (laughs) Yeah. But I think changed for the better Mm -hmm. in just the little bits that I've seen of the show. I liked it. Like I liked what the changes that they made. Yeah. Because you have some experience with the show, you'll have to let me know as we go, especially the things that I maybe like didn't like as much about the book. I'm hoping that you'll be able to tell me like, yes, they made it so much better in the show. And that's why it was so popular. I didn't know it went on for eight years. That's like a really long time to be on TV. Yeah. And what's even funnier though, is that, is it Ian Somerhold? Is that his name though? Yeah. Somerhalder, yeah. Somerhalder is married to Nikki Reed, who also is famous for playing a very yeah. big popular vampire. Well, and then he was with Nina Dobrev for a long time, like most of yeah. the time that they were making the show. This vampire universe is like very tight, yeah, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in seeing the sort of, sim- you know, Lo and I coming from the Twilight fandom, seeing this sort of similarities, now granted the subject matter, they're both writing about vampires, but this some of the similarities between Twilight, I know that that's always been a discussion of if Stephanie Meyer read Vampire Diaries first and she says that she did not, but there were a few seconds where I went like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> yeah, I had that reaction too, because I did read the entire Twilight series. I was 15 when the series started. And so I was kind of like prime. It was like the perfect time for me to be reading mm-hmm. that series. Mm-hmm. And I did reread Twilight ages ago for the podcast. It was within the first couple of weeks of the show back in 2018. So it's been a while, but I know enough about Twilight that when I started Vampire Diaries, I, I kept catching myself being like, mm, this this sounds familiar, like something there's like echoes of Twilight in this. And I'm sort of happy that I didn't know what year the Vampire Diaries was published, because I kept wondering, like, which one of these might have influenced the other. And to echo what you said, I did search to see if there was anything out there about maybe Twilight originating as fan fiction for Vampire Diaries or any sort of like roots in it maybe anything that Stephanie Meyer had said, and I didn't find anything either. So if she did, she's not telling anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great for her. But um, yeah, I, I kept wondering, like, which came first, Twilight or Vampire Diaries? Vampire Diaries came almost 15. Yeah. yeah. Vampire Diaries came 15 years before. So mm-hmm. there is no crossover. I will say that the whole, like, publishing history of this series is kind of fascinating. Do, you, do either of you know anything about it? 
I don't. I don't either. Okay, so L.J. Smith was the original author, and she published the first three novels, The Awakening, The Struggle, and The Fury, which all have Stefan and Elena as the narrators in 1991 and 1992. So we've got that covered. That's kind of the basic info. Then she wrote another book called Dark Reunion, which was from Bonnie's viewpoint. And Bonnie is one of Elena's friends, the one who has Mm -hmm. some psychic powers. So then the author took a long hiatus and they brought in a ghost writer to write and publish a few other like series extensions. So there was the Hunters trilogy and then there was a Salvation trilogy. And then in 2014, LJ Smith was like, I want back in. Like I'm back. Oh, wow. I really like, I know I took a long break, but I'm still here 13 years later and I'm ready to get back into this universe. And Alloy, who is the book packager that owned the rights Uh to Vampire Diaries, they fired her. And so she went in this really unique direction, something that I've never heard of. And she actually decided that she was going to start writing sort of fan fiction of her own books exclusively through Amazon Kindle. Um, And that arc is called the Evensong arc. This is wild. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Don't you feel overwhelmed just thinking about this? Yeah, I love it. (laughs) I know. I love it too. I felt like I needed to write a chart or some sort of like a like a flow chart as I was figuring all of this out. It's very confusing. I mean, I know that she had been involved, at least this is just anecdotally, and this might be like totally not true. But I think I heard that she had been involved in the show for the first season and then like not involved at all. They like took it a completely different direction. And I don't know if that just means that they based the show on the book, the first book, and then they kind of went a different way with it. Mm Because I've only read this first book. So I don't, but I've seen the whole show. So I don't know if any of the other books follow at all what she had done or what they did with the show. Yeah, I read some interviews with producers of the show who talked about how they really had to commit to just using the books as a jumping off point and how Mm -hmm. they really like gave themselves a lot of wiggle room. Um, One of the things that the producer mentioned specifically is the degree to which like they decided to get into the supernatural. So the producer said that they like wanted to get ideas from the books, but they actually limited themselves on how supernatural they wanted to go because Mm -hmm. they like didn't want to go to angels and foxes and mystical creatures and hell and they also like made a pretty big decision to change the name of the town and we're getting kind of detailed now but I think it's important because Fells Church is the name of the town in the book and after doing some research the producers found out that Fells Church is really based on religion and spirituality and they like didn't want to go in that direction so right off the bat they renamed the town to Mystic Falls Mm -hmm. so that they like sort of break free of this very like heaven and hell view of vampires that they didn't want to get bogged down in from the book. You know, I actually like that. I also like, so in the book, one of the things that we'll probably talk about a little bit is the high school, is Robert yeah. E. Lee High School, uh-huh. which just makes me cringe and just say like, no, like, can we edit this out? And, you know, it's mentioned so many times in the book. And it's just such a weird thing in 2021 to read from a 1991 book that this is just something that she was completely comfortable putting in at the Mm -hmm. time. And now like, you know, we would never do that. We would never pay homage to it in that way. So Mm -hmm. it's just, it's interesting that, you know, the things that have been changed are. What's the high school's name in the TV series? I don't actually remember. Yeah, I didn't come across that. I feel like sort of, I don't know, TV shorthand would probably be just to call it like Mystic Falls High, but I don't don't know. Don't quote me on that. 
Yeah. So Mystic Falls yep, is a really great is. name for it's a Mystic town. Mystic Falls High School. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, Mystic Falls is a really good name for a high school. There were mm-hmm. a few instances in the book that made me cringe even more because she referred to the school not as Robert E. Lee High School, but as Robert E. Lee. And I think yeah. there is one moment where she was like, I couldn't wait to get to Robert E. Lee. And I, I like, know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and talking about Robert E. Lee as being this site of like honorable tradition and the things that she loved about it was this old tradition. And I was like, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't great. But let's talk about our first impressions of Elena. When we meet her, she has just returned from this trip to France with her aunt and her little sister. We understand that like she's having some weird feelings about going home because home hasn't really been the same since her parents passed away, which I kind of thought we would explore more, but we didn't really get into. I'm I'm thinking maybe that happens later in the series. I have some pretty strong feelings about Elena, but I'm going to pass (laughs) it over to you two to kick things off. And I can't wait to hear what you think about book Elena (laughs) well me no likey (laughs) I mean it was actually pretty shocking to me the difference in the character in the book versus the show because in the show as played by Nino Dobrev this she is very likable she's beautiful she's doe-eyed she's not just sort of like the average white girl I mean she is tiny and gorgeous with like acres of flowing hair but Mm. you know she is also not a lot like this character is described in the book. And in the book, she's sort of, it's a very 90s description of a heroine. She is blonde and beautiful and blue-eyed and perfect. And we see her tying ribbons in her hair. And it's just, it's not really the way that we would write a heroine in this day. Mm -hmm. So it was really interesting. I felt like that was a piece that felt very dated to me. I talk about how popular she is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there was like a line in there about being skinny or something. And yeah, I think well, I so it, to- this line is um, she didn't even glance at the elaborate Victorian mirror above the cherrywood dresser. She knew what she'd see. Elena Gilbert, cool and blonde and slender, the fashion trendsetter, the high school senior, the girl every boy wanted and every girl wanted to be. Yep. Isn't that how everybody feels about themselves in high school? I mean, don't we all have that level of (laughs) self-esteem? Kidding, kidding. I definitely didn't feel that way in high school. I feel as though Elena Gilbert makes Regina George look like a really nice golden (laughs) retriever puppy. Yes. 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 She really does. And she's so snotty to her friends too. You're like, hi, Elena, take it down a notch. In fact, Lo and I had a conversation where we were like, YA has come so far that there were moments I was like, is this, is this considered like middle grade or YA? Or like, was there no difference? Was it just like a teen book, you know, a young adult book? I'd love for you to share more about that because you, you write YA and Mm -hmm. I'd sort of love if you would like I don't know, go into that a little bit more if you wouldn't mind, based on what you know about the current YA market and like what the expectations are from editors and from consumers and readers. What were the things that maybe like mortified you the most or just surprised you the most? I don't, I won't like put words in your mouth that it mortified you. I won't project. Well, I mean, I think one big thing is for like us as authors, and I think certainly a, a note we would get from editors is that she's not very likable. Like Mm -hmm. as soon as you meet her, she's not very likable. Like you kind of, 
like you said, she makes Regina George seem nice. And so that's not something, you know, you want to root for somebody. And if somebody seems to kind of already have everything right on the first page, you're sort of like, eh, you know, you don't, you're not as invested in them succeeding. It's okay to not be likable if you are also an underdog in other ways, Mm -hmm. I think is what you mean. That like, there's nothing underdog about Elena to start. We wouldn't see a heroine at the beginning of a book like this where she's blonde and skinny and white and beautiful and rich. We would see a little bit more of her, the darker side. We would probably hear a lot more early on about the death of her parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think those are the things that would probably be brought out a little bit more. But you know, what's interesting is between probably when this book came out to now, I mean, YA as a genre has just become a thing. It's completely exploded. So, you know, where Christine and I are, we're older than you are. And I grew up with Beverly Cleary and Judy Bloom and Roald Dahl. And there were a lot of other authors there that that were specifically writing for children, but not nearly as many as there are today. And so I think having a book like this is really interesting because it is sort of writing for like a larger size young population. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the language for to me, the way that it's written feels a little old timey, even for 1991. Mm. Some of the dialogue feels very old fashioned. And so you get a sense of an older person writing for a younger audience, mm-hmm. which may or may not be true, but it definitely feels that way. Whereas I think teens now are, they are a little bit more cynical. They want to be, they don't want to be talked down to. They don't want grownups trying to sound like teens. And so it's just, it's really interesting the way the dialogue for me was written in this book. I think if I had read this as a, you know, I think I was 15 when this book came out, (laughs) you know, I would have been like, I don't, I don't speak that way, but I would have just, I would have loved it because there weren't other options. Yeah. And also I think if the way that she starts out sort of this like perfect popular girl, I feel like now that would be like a huge part of the story. It would be a big arc of like her realizing that those aren't the important things or that there's so much more or something like that where I don't, I I mean, I could be misremembering, but I don't really think that she got that in this first book. I do think there was a moment in the book where she thought she wanted to be better to deserve Stefan. But I did never feel like she wanted to be better to deserve the friends she already had. Yes. Yeah. And I think I really echo what you said about the fact that maybe today her family situation would have been examined more closely. And maybe Mm -hmm. it's just the way that I'm conditioned as a reader now, but I kept thinking that we were going to get more of that. And I think Mm -hmm. even if there had been this sense of like, Elena went through this terrible tragedy and look at her, she's still like presenting herself with such confidence and like she's overcome that. I mean, that would still be kind of annoying because I would prefer that she be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it was surprising to me that like, we don't really understand what's happening with her aunt and her aunt's fiance. And she has this little sister that's such a prop. Like we see Margaret like three times and- I think an author today might see a really young sister. I think Margaret's like five or six years old would see her as an opportunity for Elena to like, I don't know, maybe try to rise to the occasion. And like you said, like not try to be better for Stefan, but try to be better for her family, knowing that her little sister has lost her parents too. Like, I I think you're right. I think readers today are conditioned for a little bit more nuance in a heroine, even if that heroine is meant to be super popular and like having it all together. Nobody has it all together like this. And there were a couple of particularly horrible moments that I just had to call out because they were so ridiculous and (laughs) do put Regina George to shame. So I believe at one point we learned that Elena's best friend Meredith is like more or less maintaining a schedule for her. Like she's like, this is what you have tonight and this is what you have tomorrow night and this is what you have on Wednesday night, which is so cringy. She 
makes her best friends, Meredith and Bonnie, do like a blood pact with her. Oh, yeah. To yes. promise that not only will they not reveal any of her secrets about her interest in Stefan, but also that they will only do what she tells them to do with respect to Stefan. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of intense. Yeah. And then just like her whole, the way she situates herself with boys in her life. And I do think that this is very indicative of the time period in which the book was written. But I did want to share one quote that I think really sums it up. It comes from the part of the book when Stefan like basically ignores Elena. He walks Mm -hmm. on by Mm -hmm. and this is what we get. Without a glance, she couldn't remember how long it had been since a boy had done that. They all looked at least. Some whistled, some stopped to talk, some just stared. And that had always been fine with Elena. After all, what was more important than boys? They were the mark of how popular you were, of how beautiful you were, and they could be useful for all sorts of things. Sometimes they were exciting, but usually that didn't last long. Sometimes they were creeps from the beginning. Most boys, Elena reflected, were like puppies, adorable in their place, but expendable. A very few could be more than that, could become real friends like Matt. This is so yes. bleak. Well, I mean, also, this is so deeply bleak. Like, just also oh. speaking of Matt, she makes up a boyfriend. Yeah, and yeah. like immediately after she breaks up with him. But you know, yeah. there is a moment where he's like, "Is the French guy real?" And she's like, "No." I mean, I did like to see for anyone who hasn't read it, who's listening, she really wants Stefan to notice her, and so right. she like kind of fails everybody notices and she's worried about her her reputation at school that she kind of you know shot her shot <laughs> took her shot and he rejected her <laughs> and so she wants to like save face so she makes up this fancy french boyfriend i think his name is like jean paul or something yeah. but she's just broken up with matt to go after stefan and now she's saying she has this other boyfriend so poor matt is like yep. you know is this french guy real like did you really break up with me to, because you've been cheating on me with this french guy and she tells him no so i did feel glad at least that Elena was like conscious enough to tell Matt this guy is not a real thing but the whole breakup is just like she's just like I mean we'll always be friends and it's just it happens so fast (laughs) well he knew like as soon as he saw her he's like is this what you're gonna you want Stefan that's why you're breaking up with me yeah well it sort of seemed like they had never had any sort of a DTR because she is like oh Matt is my friend and like maybe a little more than that and Matt is like I was under the impression that we were like together (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just because Elena is not taking their relationship seriously which she's clearly not but there also just seems to be some mismatched expectations Mm -hmm. and while Matt was definitely collateral damage in this whole situation, he does tell her the truth when they break up. He says, Elena, you are incredible. You twist people around your little finger, and I don't think you even know you're doing it, which is like, okay, you don't need to kiss her ass right now. And now you're going to ask me to do something to help you ambush Stefan, and I'm such a dumb sucker, I might even agree to do it. And then he goes on to say, you only want everybody and everything revolving around Elena Gilbert. You only want everything you don't have. And I got to hand it to him. Mm-hmm. That's hard to say. Yeah. And, you know, I do like book Matt and I like show Matt. Like show Matt is actually perfectly cast and he's perfectly played. Is he the blonde one? Yeah, it's Zach somebody. I forget his last name. But, you know, he is so good because he does have that sort of tepid vibe where it's like he's never going to just like slam you into a wall and kiss you. But also also he is sort of the heart and the conscience of the show in a lot of ways. And he's not afraid to call out characters when they're being terrible. So I thought book Matt translated well. Oh, 
Okay, book Matt. I like yeah. that about you. But <laughs> yes. he also, he like befriends Stefan. He's really the only person at school other than Elena. And I guess the girls are interested in Stefan too because he's hot. But oh, Matt like really goes out of his way to make Stefan comfortable. And we haven't really touched on Stefan's situation. So we should probably do that. Okay. Stefan is living in a boarding house. Yeah. I'm always like, <laughs> does anybody notice that there's this like high schooler like driving like a car living alone, living in a boarding house? Everybody's like, oh yes, like wearing like designer seven. clothes. And they call him boy. It's not like they think it's a grown man. Like the yeah. woman who runs his house is like, boy, boy. <laughs> right. They're like also casual about it. They're like, oh yeah, like he's staying over at the boarding house. Like, doesn't anybody have any questions about this? Because yeah. I have many, like I have a few. <laughs> That's a good change in the TV show. Yeah. Okay, what happens in the TV show? In the TV show, the Salvatore brothers have a, a house that they've owned. Okay, a so he just yeah, it's like a giant mansion. So you know that's where they come back to. Yeah. Okay, so that was confusing to me. Although L.J. Smith does make the point to say, in jeans and a t-shirt, Stefan Salvatore looked exactly like a normal high school student. He wasn't. Okay, so he looks the part, but his other circumstances are very not high yeah. school-esque. She also clarifies for us that he is not tall. Yeah, <laughs> many I, times. I found very odd. Does that end up being relevant? Like, do you find in the TV show that it matter that his height matters? No. Okay. No. I don't think he's anything other than average in the yeah. okay. But it was just such an odd thing. It, you know, we write romance but where we obviously want our hero to be physically a hero. Appealing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it was just such a strange like reading the line where it was like short, dark, and handsome. <laughs> <laughs> Very, especially because we have jokes of like, are all romance heroes six four? You know, yeah. yes, yes, they are. <laughs> it's almost like she was trying to humanize him a little bit. Like he's mm -hmm. not perfect. I've been talking a lot about the Bachelorette lately on the podcast because you know we're in it right now. But um, it makes me think of how like people have commented this season. There's one guy who has now been sent home named named Hunter who like appears very short on the show, uh -huh. but. All of the recap podcasts I listen to have been like, yeah, that's only because every single other man on this show is like 6'5". Like this guy who everybody is making fun of for being short is probably like six feet tall even. And like that's sort of how I feel about Stefan. Like, oh, sorry, yeah. he's not six foot five, but he's still right. probably like he's I'm sure he is striking in every possible way because you've made that quite clear. Yeah. But he doesn't have everything going for him, does he? Because he is living in the shadows and mm -hmm. he's tired of it. He's tired of the darkness. He's tired of, quote, the things that lived in the darkness. Most of all, he was tired of being alone. So you met in the Twilight fandom. And so you have a little bit of a better understanding, probably a lot better understanding, actually, of like vampire lore than I do. Because Twilight is really my only vampire pre-knowledge before coming to this book. How did the sort of like vampire stuff strike you in this book, especially as we're meeting Stefan early on? So I actually originally came from the Buffy fandom. Okay. And I spent a lot of time in the Buffy fandom. It was sort of my <laughs> first like hardcore, you know, entrance entrance into being in a fandom. And I feel like this was pretty standard. Like there's a okay. lot of the sort of brooding, quiet, you know, what was interesting to me, and you reminded me of it when you said that he had returned to like the public to life because he was lonely mm. is he doesn't really. So it's like that, yeah. that, that justification for Stefan coming back to, I want to call it mystic falls, but you know, the town in the book, it doesn't track for me because he's there, but he's not interacting with anyone. 
he doesn't make eye contact with anyone. He's not hanging out with anyone. He plays football, but like he's not hanging with the team. So that piece of it, that sort of isolating socially thing tracks really well for vampire lore because they want to resist the temptation of wanting to feed off humans. So for example, like Angel in Buffy, you know, he is basically going around at night, you know, taking out the baddies. And he's also like trying to stay away from temptation. He's trying to be good, just like Edward. And in part, the the Coens keep themselves separate because they know they don't look normal, right? They like... Mm-hmm. They look, they appeal to humans in ways that aren't completely normal and they just look different. So I don't understand exactly here why Stefan came back. Like that justification of like him wanting to be around people doesn't really make sense to me because he doesn't do that. Yeah, that's true. It it all, again, having very little background in vampire lore or vampire stories other than Twilight, I was like, this is just Edward Cullen to me. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure a lot of people though who... I mean, there are a lot of people who, and Lo included, I think, when she first got into Twilight fandom, were like, this isn't the way vampires are. In fact, she Mm -hmm. will tell this story that when she first picked up Twilight or something, somebody had left a note like that said something like, this book is an abomination to vampires. And Yeah, it was at Barnes & Noble. It was actually, I finished Twilight and I wanted to read the second one. So I went to the Barnes & Noble and in the YA section, right in front of, like, because they had New Moon faced out and right in front of the book was this bind- sheet of like ripped out binder paper where a handwritten note said, Dear Vampire Lovers Everywhere, please do not buy this book. This book is an abomination to vampires. It is blah, blah, blah. And it had, it was like a full page handwritten. Wow. So I, I took the book up to the front to pay for it. And I told the woman, there's the cutest letter back there by this teenager who feels very strongly about what vampires are and are not. She's like, again, she's like, we take this letter down every day. And every day this teen comes back and they, I don't know who it is. They must come and put it back up there. And I was like, man, the commitment. That's like like a lot of writing. I'm like touched. Like that really Mm -hmm. like hits my heart in a weird way. (laughs) Me too. I wanted to tell her like, don't take that letter down. That's adorable. But yeah. of course, it's not my store. So not your story. <laughs> but also, a, a comparison too is that Stefan has powers, or yeah. like what? Is, how does he refer it? The, the power. power. The power. Yeah. yeah, that he could. What? I don't think he can necessarily read minds, but he like sends out a thought and then can take them back in return. Yeah. Yeah, and he seems to be able to like sense people's minds like I agree with you it didn't seem like he could read Elena's mind but it didn't seem that he was like merely just attracted to the smell of her blood or to her beauty like it also seemed like he was like picking up on something more internal with her Uh uh-huh yeah I wish the power here had been a little more clear because I feel like when you are going to introduce magical rules you just have to be really specific about how they work And so initially it was like he was telling himself that he couldn't, he wasn't going to read their thoughts or like look into their minds, right? He was like Mm going to resist that urge. But then there would be moments where like when Elena was writing in her diary in class behind him and I'm just like, this is so mortifying. She's like writing in her diary and he can probably hear every thought she has. And you're seeing in her point of view that he's shifting in his chair and he's sort of uncomfortable in front of her. And I'm like, is he like hearing everything she's writing? Like, how does this actually work? You want to know what he's hearing from her. Yeah, we didn't really know the rules. Uh, and that was that was confusing. As listeners know, I'm getting my MFA right now. And my teachers generally dissuade people from doing genre fiction. But when people do write genre fiction, especially any sort of um, like sci-fi or fantasy, they're like, you can set your story in any kind of chaotic world that you want. 
But if we don't know the rules of the chaotic world, then it doesn't do us any good. And so that's sort of become the rule about the rules is that like, we need to understand how all of this works. And you put it so well, because I think I just felt like I was lacking some grounding in what was happening with Stefan, which when his brother Damon shows up, then it it really did begin to feel very chaotic for me because I felt so confused about what was happening with Stefan and like Stefan's vampire status. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was a little confusing, but we'll get back on track with the uh, <laughs> love story or the hopeful love story. So as we've sort of referred to, Stefan is like secretly obsessed with Elena. He very much, again, like Edward and Bella, like he's very drawn to her, but he is committed to not giving in to his bloodthirst. He does not want to feed on humans. And he like basically is just like ignoring her as much as possible. And he's like, sure, I'll be on the football team if it means like not having to like be tempted to hang out with you. Um, (laughs) Sure, Matt, like I'll be at practice. But also then like pretty soon after that, in sort of reference to his not wanting to to drink human blood, he like kills the homeless guy under the bridge. Yeah. And yeah. the book sort of treats that as like, well, he was a homeless guy under a bridge. So it's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I just, I was a little bit horrified. Like, are we going to talk about this? Like, Stefan, you just did. Uh, anyway. But isn't no, he like, I don't remember doing it. Like he, there's this surge of power and he just, it's kind of fuzzy. It's to like him a too. blur. Yeah. Yeah. I think something that bothered me throughout the book is this sense that Elena, Stefan himself, like even the author as this omniscient figure was doing everything possible to absolve Stefan of responsibility or at least of like sort of knowing accountability, if that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. everybody was sort of just trying to situate the facts in order to protect Stefan, except Mm -hmm. for like the sort of faceless mob of high schoolers who have it out for Stefan, but they're not important. Like we're really in everybody else's head. And I just, I do feel like there were so many red flags about Stefan, not only about the fact that like he clearly is dangerous and has been violent in Fell's church, as you mentioned, like it's sort of unclear the details of what happened with this man in the graveyard, but it's clear that Stefan was involved to some degree, although we don't quite know what happened. And yet the the language around it was weird. It's very offhand, like the way that it's mentioned and even the way it's described. I didn't write down the quote, but the line was something like, you know, there was like a small wrinkled face, like looking out from a heap of blankets or something. And that's how the author chooses to represent this man who's experiencing homelessness. And like, Mm -hmm. that's really terrible. Like you're not even depicting this person as human. We, We have like a very brief note before that happens to indicate that there was an old man in the graveyard, but like, that's how you're going to describe him. You're basically like, you're invalidating the fact that he was a victim of Stefan's Mm -hmm. rage, whether Stefan was in his right mind or not. Right. Which is, I think another big difference that you would find in a book that came out now. That would be just, I could just imagine the like editorial notes (laughs) or the Twitter response. But the margin notes, like, can you just imagine, like, yeah. who is this person? Why is he there? You know, yeah. d- how does he feel about doing this? You know, all, yeah. Yeah. And then there's also, like, there's a couple of incidents in Fell's Church since Stefan has showed up as he and Elena are, like, orbiting each other. And there's an incident at the school dance because he's he's shown up at the school dance with Caroline, who seems to be Elena's, like, former friend or, like, just frenemy in general. There's a little bit of, like, slut-shaming, I felt, on Elena's part when she's describing yep. the way that Caroline is dressed, mm-hmm. um, which was annoying to me. And like, again, Fred just speaks to Elena's Regina George type of vibe of yeah. like, 
even the people that are like as hot as I am are like slutty. Like there's just, there people are either like not as hot as she is or she's mm-hmm. judging them as sluts, okay. which is not a word that I'm choosing to use for myself. Like I really think that this is how we're being, how we're being introduced to Elena and the way that she sees her peers. Yeah. And so Elena like gets so upset about what's happening with Stefan and the fact that he's continuing to ignore her and then shows up at the dance with Caroline that she bails on her friends and in a really rude way in like a very rude way like if I were like yeah the fact that her friends were so quick to not only like forgive her but to defend her come on girls like get a backbone but she just like blows them off and she goes back to the graveyard kids right have we not learned (laughs) we do not go to graveyard watching enough tv Right. As a rule, don't go to a graveyard. But you also have just had this thing happen to this man. Mm-hmm. And you're not really supposed to go to the graveyard. But she's like, Tyler Smallwood is also hot. And he's going to the graveyard. So I'm going to go too. And she's like with this new crew of people that she doesn't usually hang out with. More spooky things happen. Listeners will know this. I am not a Halloween girl. I do not like spooky things. And so I do find that I was like getting lost in a lot of the details of what was happening in the graveyard just because it's so like not my normal genre or even outside of the normal like mood of things that I read or Mm -hmm. engage with that I like sort of felt like I didn't have any idea what was happening. I actually I do read some of this stuff. Like I mean I've read a lot of vampire stuff. I also did not know what was happening. I agree. I was like, what is the mist? I don't know what this fog is. Who is the crow? What's happening? Yeah. It was (laughs) chaos. I felt like any time that the the like there was some tension or something sort of spooky happening, I tended to get become more interested and even I am unclear as to what happened to this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. The last 20 pages of this book where we really like I think learn a lot about what's going on with these brothers, I feel very confused. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to sort of gather my notes again before I jumped on to talk with you. And I was like, I just don't, I don't think I get it. Like it just, I feel like I keep using the word chaos, but it was chaotic to me. And mm-hmm. the end was chaotic. The graveyard scenes were chaotic. But what we find in the second graveyard scene is that we're left with another similar incident where a teenager named Vicky has sustained like very similar wounds on her neck to the ones that this old man had. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of an interesting dynamic happening with Vicky where like not many people believe her. There's a lot of gaslighting happening with her, which was another thing I flagged as like a very 1991 versus 2021 sort of shock factor where I couldn't believe how many people in the book were like, oh, Vicky's crazy. Like Vicky was right. definitely yeah. seeing things. Who knows how she got these wounds? Like she was probably drinking. Like even her parents were were sort of laughing off the idea of getting her mental health support because they thought that she was making it up. Yeah. And then when they do get her help, the friends are like, what, she's seeing a shrink? Like, it was yeah. Very, yeah. I was like, yikes. <laughs> yeah, we've come a long way in certain yeah. aspects. <laughs> yeah. But the, like, continued weird power dynamic continues with Elena and Stefan. He does rescue her from that night and, like, brings her back to the boarding house. And this is where she's like, okay, great. Like, this means we're dating. Like, and it just, it it sort of broke my heart a little bit. (laughs) As much as I really disliked Elena, like, it felt like she was just like, he loves me. Like, I already know he loves me so much. We need to pause and talk about this this for a second. Because I have quotes if we need them. I'm prepared. I will hope for that because I'm very <laughs> confused about how she gets from this hot I mean the whole progression of their relationship is very strange to me he shows up at school he's really hot 
she is the hottest girl at school, so she expects that he will be into her, right? Right. Mm -hmm. He is not into her, and she's publicly humiliated by that. So she makes up this French boyfriend that is there for like a few pages and then is gone. He's fake. She tells Matt that it's fake too. JK. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so then she has this plan that she's going to go to homecoming with Matt and Matt is going to convince Stefan to come so that she can ask Stefan to dance. This is like her big plan. But when she goes over to ask him to dance, he's standing, she's like, they have a moment of connection. It looks like he's about to kiss her and then Caroline walks up. Okay. So now she's all pissed off. She goes to the thing with Tyler. Tyler attacks her. Stefan saves her. They go back to the boarding house and make out. Now suddenly she's like, I love him. Like on right. page 80 something. <laughs> it's very I, quick. I honestly don't know what it is about him that she loves. And I feel like Twilight actually does this so much better where Bella is almost just as bewildered by her feelings as mm -hmm. the reader is because mm -hmm. she describes what's so alluring about him and that there's just, there's like the way he smells, the way he looks, that like there's something about him she can't resist. Whereas here, I just sort of feel like he's the hot guy and I'm the hottest girl, so I really love him. And it's like... Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want some quotes. Let's hear some quotes. Okay, I have I have some I have some good quotes ready for you. So th this okay, this one needs some context because it just made me angry. And the quote is, "Why do you hate me?" Because after everything that has happened on this night at the graveyard, and after she comes to this boarding house, and Stefan's room in the boarding house is like super weird and like creepy for her, and then he puts on this old velvet cape for her. Like, there's so much going on. <laughs> and he has like a gold dagger. She's like, "What is this?" He's like a dagger. Right. She's like, "Oh, cool." And her question is not like, <laughs> "What the hell is going on?" It's, "Why do you hate me?" Oh. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. <laughs> and I do think like there's a lot going on here. If we wanted to pathologize Elena about like she's really seeking validation from men and that whole quote that I read earlier about how like she's just mortified that she didn't turn Stefan's head immediately because that's what she's used to and that's what she likes. Like it just made me so sad that like the thing that she's seeking immediately after this wild night that would terrify any human being, mm -hmm. her number one concern is like, why don't you want me? Do you like me? Like, why yeah. don't you like mm -hmm. me? Yeah. And that also, I think, was in a weird way, I guess it was one of the only moments of vulnerability that we get from her because she does come off as so confident. But the whole thing just rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. Other quotes. She knew then <laughs> that it had not been hatred that had made him avoid her for so long. No, it had not been hatred at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Oh, wait. Oh, gosh. This one's so cringy. Oh, Stefan, I love you. And it doesn't matter if you can't say it to me, she thought. It doesn't yes. matter if you can't say it right now. I'll say it for both of us. And someday you'll learn. Okay. <laughs> Vampires aside, red flag city. Like, yeah. All and, over. and it's so, I will say, like, this This has happened to so many of us, especially early on, I think, in, in relationships. Like, I'm sure I did it when I first started dating. Like, you're like, it's fine if you're not telling me that you love me. You do. Yeah. <laughs> you do. I, I know. I know I that love you us. do. I love you enough for both of us. Right. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine that you don't, but you do. And you're going to tell me eventually. But in the meantime, I'll just keep telling you. And it's fine. Like, it's okay. You do love me. Sorry. But the thing that's weird is that, like, Elena does seem to have so much relationship experience. And she seems savvier than this. Like, it doesn't mm -hmm. make sense. She's too smart with 
relationships, I think, while I don't necessarily like agree with her philosophies on getting attention from like potential partners, I do think that like she's better than this. And the fact that she doesn't pick up on the red flags and that she's just so quickly in love with him. It's strange. I think your point about Bella Swan is a good one and that she's like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Like, yeah, but, but I'm into you. Like, I think you're great. Whereas I'm just I feel like we're supposed to buy into Elena's adoration for Stefan as if it makes total sense. But we're not given any reason to believe that, A, Stefan has any, like, meaningful, concrete qualities that would make Elena fall in love with him, or B, that, like, Elena is as confused as we are. Yeah. You know, it's it's really interesting because I'm as you're speaking about this, I'm thinking about the difference in Edward Cullen and Stefan Salvador. And part of it here in the book is that he met Catherine in the 15th century. So right. he is, like, 500 years old. And all of this is happening he's interacting with this very young girl, basically. She's what, like 16? Yeah. And still somehow is attracted to her. Whereas I think in reality, she would just seem so naive, almost to the point where it's off-putting, especially in this moment where she's like, I love you, you know? But here, Stefan is thinking mostly about how his heart was broken by Catherine and all the sort of trauma of his the past with Catherine because- for listeners, we haven't mentioned yet that Catherine is this woman in his past who looks almost exactly like Elena. And so one thing I think is really interesting with Twilight, though, is that Edward isn't surprised by Bella's reaction to him because that's how all humans react, right? Mm -hmm. So his thing is like, you just feel the way all humans feel about me. I feel differently about you, though. And we're not really getting a lot of what Stefan feels about Elena specifically. I mean, we do get that, like, Catherine was a little white kitty and Elena is the snow tiger or whatever it was, you know, but I I think I like that she's forceful and I like that she has these really kind of big feelings and she's not afraid to say them. But I wish that we saw a little bit more of Stefan's experience and wisdom, like mirroring that, if that makes sense. Yeah, this is where I was thinking about the margin notes that I get from my writing teachers. And it would be like, but tell us about him. We don't Mm -hmm. know him. Yeah. Who is he? And And I just, I felt like I walked away knowing nothing about Stefan other than the fact that he's a vampire. Mm -hmm. He lives in a boarding house with like a dagger. Um, He was in love with a woman (laughs) named Catherine, some cloaks. He like gets Elena really interested in the Renaissance. Uh, He's hot, but not tall. (laughs) And he's like a little bit, he's like pretty aggro. He hates his brother. And that's like kind of it. And yeah. I guess I guess that works for Elena. But yeah, I, I wanted to know him because I wanted to be, but I'm like, if this is the relationship that is at the center of this book, I want to know if I'm rooting for it or not. And I would prefer to root for it because that makes for a more fun reader experience. And I, I'm definitely not rooting for Elena to be with Damon, his brother, but I can't really root for it if I don't know him. So it's just, it was weird. And I also wonder if that's part of why I didn't feel very connected at the end when all of this wild stuff was happening between Stefan and Damon and we're finding out about their past with Catherine because I just didn't feel like I was grounded in any of the characters and it was like hard for me to really like key into what was going on mm-hmm. well and he felt he seemed more in love with Catherine still yes mm-hmm. than yeah. with Elena like we get more of that emotional side of him than we do his feelings for Elena yeah yeah and and the best way I can summarize it and correct me please if this sounds like I'm not getting what happened but I know we are sort of slowly coming up on our time together and I just want to make sure that we like break this part of it down so as you mentioned Catherine is this woman from Stefan's past 
she was really ill as a child and as a teenager. And so her maid asked this like mysterious man named Klaus to basically Klaus. like come turn her into a vampire. And this is this is God, like a I stupid fact. My husband sometimes calls our dog Klaus as like a nickname. Like it's their weird thing. He'll be like, come on, Klaus, let's go outside. I have no idea where it came from. But as I was reading this book, I was like, okay, Klaus. So yeah, Klaus turns Catherine into a vampire to save her from being sick all the time. Then Catherine comes to Florence where Stefan and Damon live and Stefan falls in love with her, but it seems like she's also falling in love with Damon, which is very difficult for Stefan to understand. She says like, whoever my husband is, is going to have to like Mm -hmm. accept that you can't live in the sunlight and like whoever. Live in the darkness. Right. So it becomes this like choice between the two of them. And it kind of seems like she's putting it on them. Like which one of you is willing to do this? And they're like, Catherine, you're so great. Like you pick. (laughs) They're both like, we're (laughs) in. We would love to be vampires. We would love to never see the sun again. We would love to live forever as the undead. And she like, seems to have picked Stefan and Stefan's super pumped about it. And he's like, this is, we're going to be together forever, literally forever and ever and ever. And you're so fantastic. But then he finds out that she also changed Damon. And it seems like she had this whole plan that like her then dying would like bring them together. It was very murky for me, but it just backfired. And then they started hating each other because they lost her in the process of all of this happening. And now they've been like avoiding each other through the literal centuries. But now Damon has been spying on Stefan. And Damon has even popped up a few times with Elena. And so Elena is the first to realize that Stefan's brother is back. And that is sort of what I took from the ending. Because then there's a cliffhanger and we don't quite know what's going to happen. But I was also very confused as to how this change happens because there's a moment where he says, and I can't remember what it was, if I wouldn't have done this, I would have just stayed human. Mm -hmm. And then, like I had said to Lo, I feel like one of the reasons why this book was so satisfying for so many people is because he does bite Elena and she drinks from him, but there's no description. I was like, if somebody's going to drink blood, I want to like, I want to read about it. I don't want I also say that was so unsatisfying because she does a good job describing like when he's first seeing her and he wants to taste her and stuff, he's talking about like the like pleasure pain in his teeth and it's Mm -hmm. like very descriptive. And so I thought when I got to that part that we were going to get some like hot blood down the throat or something yes. and it was just none of that at all <laughs> but then also she doesn't change so i think right. that's when we talk about setting up the rules i don't actually know what is required for someone right. to become a vampire it was anticlimactic i was like so is she a vampire now i i, I felt like i had no idea well at least in the rules in the show if like somebody dies but before like if somebody's let's say you're you know, oh, if ter- you die, yes. Your terrible car accident and you die with vampire blood in your body. Okay, yes. Uh, okay. Because Damon stabs him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's very confusing. So at the end of the book, we finish, like, the three of them are around. I mean, that's like, there's, I, I feel <laughs> like that's la- exactly how it is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a really lame way to to summarize the ending, but they're around, like they're all there. And it seems as though the love triangle is going to continue, which I might only be able to assume because like, I know how these kinds of series work. I don't, I don't know that I actually like got that much information about that from the book. 
Yeah. So I was confused and I honestly feel better that I was not the only one. (laughs) I will say this did make me want to watch the Vampire Diaries because I have seen some of the, you know, obviously in the TV show, she ends up with, she's with Damon for, Mm. I don't remember how it ends and stuff, but for part of it. And so I was like, oh, I kind of want to know. And so I was sort of fascinated by the two brothers and how much they hate each other. I think they, the book did a good job making Damon terrible in this yeah. in this book. You yeah, know, and they that. do such a good job of that in the show. I mean, you really, really hate Damon at first. Yeah. And then you start to see his, I wouldn't say humanity, because he's never really like the good guy, but you start to see how much he loves her. And I don't know, they she, the showrunners did a great job with that. And hmm. it did make me want, I told them I wanted to write vampires <laughs> coming in 2023 christina lauren does vampires <laughs> so i know that neither of you read this book previously but you do have some experience with the show and you have experience in other vampiric fandoms and i don't know i assume you had some expectations of this series given all of that I'd love for you to share a little bit about how this book did or did not meet those expectations, how it holds up to your 2021 sensibilities, all that kind of stuff. Lauren, do you want to go first? I mean, I think I thought it was going to be sexier because the show is so sexy. Yeah. And, you know, I think maybe I had kind of conflated like True Blood and Vampire Diaries and the books in my head a little bit so that I was surprised that it wasn't quite as steamy as I had expected, but also... The writing was very inconsistent to me. It felt like sometimes it was incredibly descriptive and almost like beautifully written. And then there would be dialogue where it was just like really stiff and awkward dialogue, you know. But in terms of like my 2021 sensibilities, it read like an older book. But mm-hmm. I think there's no way around that. I mean, even our 2013 books read like 2013 books. I think the the world of publishing moves so fast in that way. It was a really fast read. Like I started it later than you guys did and I finished it in like a matter of hours. So (laughs) clearly it was fun. Yeah. How about you, Christina? Um, I felt like I could see how being a teenager when this came out, I probably would have liked it. I mean, Elena is in that time she sort of written as somebody you want to like emulate, you know, Mm -hmm. where everybody in books was like beautiful. And the people who were not tended to be like the villains or the ones that everybody didn't like, or, you know, I could see this. There were, there were some moments where I was like, oh, this is sort of genius. Like the idea itself was sort of genius. And you can see how they just ran with that on the TV show. And it did make me want to like delve further into that world, but not probably in the book and more in the TV series, because I found, I thought I would find the books really, really interesting because they're, you know, there's like such a big fandom, but I found them a little bit boring. I didn't like a lot of the characters. And I think it just kind of shows how much they kind of read like what we, what a lot of people think YA is, but YA is actually oftentimes really beautiful and you know layered it's just written with younger protagonists and like those sorts of struggles Mm -hmm. well thank you both for sharing there's one other detail that i forgot to mention in my lame attempt at a recap of this chaotic ending but i think it's important she's wearing a renaissance costume the whole time 
And I think we just have to close out on that image. That's where we're going to end our conversation about the Vampire Diaries. I just think it was a choice. It was a strong choice. And as a girl who growing up in the 90s was obsessed with the Renaissance, I get it. I would have been very into that as as a kid in the 90s had I come to this book earlier. Renaissance dresses aside, I would love to know if there are any other books that you've been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners. Yeah, actually, I recently just finished, I mean, it's not YA, it's adult romance, but I just finished The Heart Principle by Helen Huang. And she's also the author of The Kiss Quotient and The Bride Test. So this is the third Mm. book in that sort of companion book series. And it was wonderful. It was just fantastic. It comes out August 31st. And I really recommend it. Um, let's see. I just finished. So there's a book called Heart and Soul that's a romance about a Korean uh, adoptee who goes back to Korea to kind of find her family. And the first book came out in like May. And I just read a draft of the second book called Soulmates. It's by Jen Frederick that comes out, I think, in January. January, yeah. Yeah. And then um, what else? Uh, I'm reading For Your Own Good by Samantha Downing. And it's a thriller. And I just like love her books. And so far, I really love this one. It's called For Your Own Good. Cool. Well, and you also have a new book out, The Soulmate Equation. Would you mind taking a few moments to tell our listeners what they need to know about that? Sure. So it is a story of Jess Davis. She's our first single mom character. She is a freelance statistician and her daughter is seven years old and she is sort of content to not date or do a lot of stuff for her own her own self until her daughter Juno is in college. But Jess's best friend, Fizzy, is a romance writer and she is not having it. She is not into this plan of Jess's. So she takes Jess to a, she hears about this new dating service that's starting up nearby. This is company that's called Genetically, and it's being founded by this guy that they see at the coffee shop every day. They call him Americano, and he's this surly, grumpy, very hot man. And the premise of the the company is that they use, um, they do DNA matchmaking. So Fizzy, being a romance author, is really curious about this as she kind of talks Jess into doing it. And turns out Jess and River match at an unprecedented level. And so the company sort of pays her to date him to see if it'll turn out well, because it could be good publicity for the company. But is it real love or is it just money? So it was really fun to write. Uh You'll have to read to find out, I would assume. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listeners, check out the show notes for this episode for a link to go check out The Soulmate Equation on bookshop.org. You can also check out the show notes for links to all the books that Lauren and Christina recommended to us and a link to pick up your own copy of The Vampire Diaries should you want to join us on this wild ride. Thank you so much, Christina and Lauren, for joining me today. It was so much fun talking with you, and I would love to have you on the show again in the future. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. Bye. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too.
In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR podcast.